Hello, friends, and welcome back to Finest Hours, where we explore amazing true stories of human achievement and influence. I'm Braden Cromar, joined by my co-host, Hayden Hansen, and our dashing executive producer, Skylar Williams. Howdy, y'all. What's up? It feels like it's been a while. It actually feels like it's been not that long. For me, I've been busy. For me, it hasn't been, but welcome back. Excellent. Anything new or noteworthy that happened in the last two weeks? Uh, no. Okay, then it sounds like we're ready to dive into our show. So today we are talking about you. Well, not really, but we're talking about what makes you, you. Throughout history, the complexity of human diversification largely remained a mystery until an Austrian monk made one of the most important scientific discoveries to humankind, unlocking the secrets of genetics. So if you haven't guessed who we're talking about <laughs> through that wonderful it. intro, <laughs> you'd have to be a pretty dang good guesser. It's going to be Gregor Mendel. We're talking about the nerd. <laughs> yeah. The nerdiest yes. of nerds. Welcome guess. to the world of academia. <laughs> guess which one of us picked this guy. It was Skylar, nerd. It was me. Yeah, you got me. <laughs> Just kidding, it was me. You got me. But, so anyway, we're talking about Gregor Mendel, a.k.a. Johan Mendel, as he was born to be... That's a sexy name. Johan Mendel. Yikes. (laughs) (laughs) It's very sexy, and that's why he was then named Gregor Mendel, but we'll get into that a little bit later. As Cromar said, he is kind of the father of genetics, in a way, and leading up to this point, most of the genetics that people knew about were from Aristotle and Hippocrates. And this is going to sound weird to us because now we're in Mendelian times, but they thought that the man's blood and the woman's blood when there was creation would come together. And that's how a baby was formed. And going off of that and also ancient Indian practices where they said that there were four kind of dominant characteristics of a child or that would make up a child. And that first one was those from the mother's reproductive materials. The second were from the father's sperm. The third was from the diet of the pregnant mother. And the fourth, those accompanying the soul, which enters into the fetus. And so with those four dominant uh, materials, there would become 16 factors of karma, um, which then would create all the characteristics of a child. That seems way more interesting than uh, our modern understanding. It is. It's a, it's a little bit more spiritual, and you really have to think about it to kind of get to those four factors and then the 16 characters or factors of karma as well, which would be interesting to kind of learn more about. Definitely a little bit different than what we're taught. Of course, if 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 karma is a real thing, then Skyler, you're you're really in for it, there, buddy. <laughs> You've got a tough road ahead of you. Do you I don't know what you're talking about. Karma. All sixteen factors of karma are going to lay waste to you. All right. So, Hayden, 
why don't you talk to us about Gregor Mendel's background? So Gregor Mendel grew up in a rural area with a pretty poor family. He was the middle child of three and he was the only son. The rural community that he was in, his family kept bees. And so he had an interest in biology. He was interested in what the bees were doing, producing honey for their family and things like that. So he always kind of took an interest into that. His education at a very early age, done by the local priest, and so they called that gymnasium, which is really weird. Yeah, do you know why? Is it just a translation thing? I'm not sure, but when he would go to the gym, (laughs) learn about grammar. (laughs) Like when you attend... When you attend gymnasium today, it's you're, you go to get buff. <laughs> yeah, but he was getting buff in the mind. His mind got buff. Oh. And the priest noticed how buff his mind was getting as he was going to the gym. <laughs> the priest was like, dude, your mind is so buff. You need to keep working on this and you could have like one of the buffest minds in the world. And so he, the priest, went to the family and convinced the family that this kid needed to go to college. And he needed to further his studies and that that would be uh, extremely beneficial to his life. And coming from a poor family, that was a big deal to them. And they wanted that for their son and they knew he was smart. And so little Johan Mendel goes off to college and he was 11 years old. So his mind was quite buff. Do you think there were a bunch of jokes that said your mom goes to college when he was there? Like a little 11 year old and they're like, your mom goes to college. (laughs) Highly unlikely. <laughs> Probably felt inferior. They're like, oh my gosh, this 11-year-old's here. No, he should feel superior because he's smarter than a lot of people at 11 years old going to college at 11 years old. It's also old. possible that that's when most kids went to college. <laughs> yeah, I don't really, know. Really, it was more of a secondary education instead of just learning how to maybe read and write in the grammar school. Yeah. to move on and actually further your studies into something more specific is what then happened in their secondary education at the time. Hayden, did you just wake up five minutes ago? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry. 15. <laughs> Sorry, your voice suddenly changed. <laughs> and what did it become? Halfway through your sentence, it suddenly changed you. Uh, that's what you become. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Good grief. Sorry. <laughs> but isn't it isn't it amazing that Mendel goes to college at eleven when his family, I think this is interesting to note, his family has owned that farm for about hundred and thirty years. Um and so to be able to send your kid to university after generations of your family just being farmers was probably pretty exciting and a little bit overwhelming to not only Johan, but also his parents who had no idea how they were going to pay for it. That is pretty cool. 130 years. That's got to be at least like two generations. Math check that, Cromar. Yeah, <laughs> definitely at least two. If, you, if you're, uh, <laughs> it could be as much as eight. Oh, oh, it's a lot of generation. What what exactly is a generation? Hey, Braden, what time is it? It must be our podcast vocabulary time, where we give a elementary school definition of a big word. 
And our word is generation. Generation. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, though, what is... No, but... So like, generation is... I don't know the exact calculation, but I think... I it, don't think it's an exact thing. I think it's probably... Oh, it's just arbitrary. It's, yeah, I think it spans almost like 20 years about because that's when people start having children. Um, was literally your predecessors. So um, you grow up, you have children. They're kind of the next generation. And then they grow up, they start to have children. And then their children are the next generation. If this farm has been in their family for 130 years, if each father and mother have a kid at, let's say, age 30, then that's four generations. If they each have one at age 40, then that's three generations. If they each have one at 20, then that's six generations. You look at homes today and it's like, yes, this is a three or four generation home. And it's like, ho, ho, ho. It's a long time to be there. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. We can continue. So Mandel, he's in college, learning everything there is to to know at that time, which we previously stated wasn't too much. No, I think there was a lot of stuff that he needed to learn. He uh, probably a mixture of him being so young, being away from home. He started to get really depressed and, and pretty anxious while he was studying. And that forced him to go home because he he literally got sick from this. And I think a lot of people experience a little bit of depression, anxiety at times when things get overwhelming. But this happened to him, and he got he got sick. He they said it made him ill, and this forced him to go home um, and kind of take a step back away from his his university experiences and studies an interesting thing to note was that while he's best known for his studies in genetics what he originally was going to school for was actually philosophy mathematics and physics and so it's interesting to note that he was an extremely well-rounded scientist so he has a good inquisitive nature from his uh, philosophy studies. And of course, he's got the, the math mind to really solve some problems. What problems? Well, one of the biggest problems that he decided to tackle in his life were related to genetics and the passing down of traits that were inherited from parents. And so where he went with that was actually to pea plants. And so he Did started- you... Do you know what he first started with? Is it pea plants? No, he started with, I think, mice. Gross. And then one of the monks were like, yeah, this is inappropriate, and I'm not, I'm not having this in my <laughs> monastery. <laughs> Wait, we, didn't, so. we didn't talk about him going into the monastery. Oh, yeah, we haven't even talked about that. Back up, back up. Let's rewind. <laughs> okay, let's back up. <laughs> Okay, you do monastery. Mandel returns home after um, being ill from his depression and anxiety, and uh, he wants to go back into schooling and continue to be educated. And at this point, they don't really have a lot of money at this point anymore. So one of his options is to go into the monastery. So he goes to work in the monastery, and while he's working and learning at the monastery, the goal is to 
eventually rank into a priest. And when he becomes a priest, he'll become a teacher. And as a teacher, he'll have to be educated. So this is the route that he takes to continue his education. And so he actually becomes a monk later on, and that's when they give him a new name. So he goes from being Johann to Gregor, the monk. There were some laws at the time that you had to pass some certain examinations in order to be certified as an educator. And so he actually wanted to become a high school teacher. How exotic. Isn't it? (laughs) I think high school was probably quite a bit different back then. I'm not sure how many exams and certifications my high school teachers had to pass. Well, if you can go to a university at 11 then I'm sure high school was a little different back then. <laughs> yeah, he was jumping straight so you go to it. college first, and then you go to high school. <laughs> Essentially, right? No, he's not, teaching. No. He's, he's not te- going, he's teaching. You still go to high school if you teach. <laughs> <laughs> Those poor teachers that are all still in high school. <laughs> I bet they can't wait to get out of there. <laughs> Move on with your life. (laughs) So what's interesting is this person that is now known as the father of modern day genetics. He actually failed the exam or the certification exam to become a high school teacher multiple times. Bummer. I failed exams before. Everybody fails, you know. Does that make me super smart? It could. (laughs) As long as it wasn't a high school certification exam. It depends on what else you know. (laughs) And so it was interesting. The portion of the exam that he failed was actually the oral portion of the exam. So one of the things that is kind of important to note is it looks like Gregor Mendel always had a hard time conveying what he knew and conveying his findings even later on into the end of his life. Nobody really appreciated what he had discovered and what his findings were. Um, And a large portion of that could have come from the fact that he had difficulties conveying his own knowledge that he had acquired. I think this is my problem in life. (laughs) Skylar's a resident genius, but he doesn't know how to say it. (laughs) I just, I can't get the words out. I've got got the Mendel syndrome. (laughs) Oh, that's great. So now with his education being financed, his failure at passing that high school certification exam, the monastery actually wanted him to further his education even further. So they sent him to Vienna. And at Vienna, he went to a university, continued his education in philosophy, mathematics, and physics, but at this point was able to get introduced into botany. And so that's his introduction into more of the biological studies. And so he was actually studying under one of the first uh, advocates of cell theory, where they first were starting to use microscopes and look a little bit closer into botany and biology. Which would be pretty exciting from what it sounds like. Mendel was very interested in learning and he didn't care exactly what it was about. And so to be able to be sent to a different university in a different country would be 
just an exciting thing for, for Mendel and to be able to see, okay, like what, what can I do now to, to learn more about, about botany? Certainly. Now, one of the interesting things with Gregor Mendel as well is again, in order to finance it, he had to jump into the monastery culture and take on some of those duties that came in the monastery. And some of those duties were really tough, you know, like, dead guy duty and that brought back his depression (laughs) and so that was something that he really struggled with throughout his whole life and a part of it came through some of the responsibilities that he had was he wasn't in one of the brightest areas when i say bright not intelligent but happy so depression was one of the things that he battled against his entire life well, when monks go years without speaking, it'd be pretty tough. I don't know that he ever did any of that, but are you just making stuff up? No, that's like a common thing, isn't it? Have you ever seen a knight's tale? Uh, I think I've seen parts of it. Anyway, one of the, I don't remember his name. He's a significant person in the English literature. I think he wrote like the Canterbury Tales, but that's the character. Jeffrey Chaucer. Yeah. And so Chaucer is the guy that introduces the knight. And he's like, one of the things that he says is, he once went an entire year in silence to better understand the sound of a whisper. (laughs) It's just like, what? I remember that part. I'm so glad you remember it. Some of that introduction was incredible. Oh, great stuff. One of the greatest writers. And then they did a better job portraying him in the Knight's Tale than he actually wrote, in my opinion. But, you know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) When it comes to comedy, (laughs) it was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, Mendel has all of these duties and all of those responsibilities. But he also, at this point, when he returns to that monastery, which is in the modern-day Czech Republic, I believe, he returns to the monastery and he has time to further his studies, but this time he's not studying under anyone. He's doing it on his own. And so he begins working with pea plants and running an experiment on pea plants. And it was, you know, a small scale experiment. He bred over 10,000 pea plants and it only took like eight years. So no big deal, right? <laughs> not at all. Wait, I wonder what sparked his curiosity for a pea plant. I think it was probably had to do with the location. Monasteries tended to be like self-sufficient. So a lot of it was growing their own food. And so I'm sure every day as he was eating those dang peas, because <laughs> that's like, all he wow, had. this one's rough. Wow, this one's smooth. <laughs> Why is this one so bumpy? Why is this one yellow? I know. Which one or the I short one? I don't think I've ever seen yellow peas before. Have you ever been to Europe? I haven't. So oh, well, this was in Europe, so I bet they have yellow peas there. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Neither have I, but that's got to yes, be... Yes, you have. Right, oh, been to Europe. I have. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Genetics, dude, that's why. <laughs> yeah, that's just, that's just a word. Can, that doesn't like, that doesn't like explain. That doesn't explain your reasoning. Okay, no, let me try again. Mendelian genetics. Oh, so... <laughs> So what we'll get into is Gregor Mendel is the reason why we only see green peas now and not yellow peas anymore. Okay. <laughs> got rid of all yellow peas. <laughs> got rid of all. Oh, sweet, dude. 
all the un- undesirable peas. Can you get rid of other undesirable vegetables? <laughs> <laughs> like like all of them? Like this guy squash. going to take on broccoli. <laughs> squash is disgusting. Oh, that's funny. I love squash. Boo. Have you had spaghetti squash? I've had all squash, and it makes me th- gag. It's disgusting. Oh, that's depressing. I love me some squash. Anyway, so... Mendel is working on these pea plants and he notices seven different uh, visible characteristics. So some of those that we kind of mentioned as we were going back and forth there, the height of the pea plant, uh, size of the pods, size of the pea, color, um, whether it be a rough pea or a smooth pea. So those were all different things that he was dealing with. And so in his experiment, he was really careful to not let the plants cross pollinate. He did a really good job um, with the experiment, and the results pointed to uh, his biggest discovery. I Which think was? Skyler uh, will tell you. Well, I'm not going to tell you. I had something to say. I was going to say I think it's interesting to note that while Mendel is doing this P experiment, experiment, I was going to say experience. I don't think it was <laughs> quite, <laughs> quite an experience, but um, he's doing the P experiment, and at the same time. Somewhere else in the world, Charles Darwin is looking closely at at the same stuff that Mendel is is experimenting with. They just don't have any way to communicate, and they have no idea that the other one is also kind of studying the same thing. Charles Darwin's texting from the Galapagos. Dude, you should see how pointy this finch's beak is. <laughs> it's it would it would break Hashtag. that key. <laughs> Hashtag evolutionary science and Gregor Mendel thumbs up it. Can whatever, I share a right? weird fact? <clears throat> Charles Darwin used to eat a lot of the animals that he studied, like <laughs> some sort of like elite club. So he's like he's like thought of as some uh, widely regarded conservationist, but he actually was like killing turtles and eating the turtles that he was studying. Gregor Mendel was part of that elite club. <laughs> He ate peas, yellow peas and and green peas, <laughs> yellow and green peas, smooth peas and rough peas. Yep. Ate it all. Yeah. That's kind of weird. Hey, what did you say earlier, Skylar? The pea pod experience? Is that the name of our band? Yeah. I was going to say, it sounds like a, like a good band name. I just said the pea experience. And then I was like, that sounds a little weird. <laughs> no, that's, not, that's not a good not a good band name no (laughs) we'll let you guys have that one if you want it yeah someone run with that make a band make sure that we get paid uh our three peas in a pod or if there's 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 like four bandmates you can be four peas in a pod and be the pea pod experience it's not bad (laughs) i like that it's not bad all right so some of the implications of mundell's work unfortunately at the time it was about zero Nobody really paid attention to it. He published his eight years work of studying two years after he completed it. And that finished up in 1865. And nobody really knew about it. And nobody even looked back at it until the year 1900. And so we'll talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So a lot of his findings were understanding how dominant and recessive traits are reproduced across generations. Very good. So he takes, let's say he's got, I can't remember what, what exactly the study was. If he has three yellow pea plants breeded with one green plants, 
that they all produced yellow pea plants. But if you took that second generation of yellow pea pants, pea plants, (laughs) 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 was was he scared? (laughs) If he took that second, if he took that second generation of pea plants and bred them, then they would then reproduce green pea plants. I was like, what? the heck is going on and and his findings his studies with the pea plant experience really outlined this relationship between dominant and recessive traits across generations and really helped humans understand genetics it's pretty likely that his study of mathematics helped him notice that there was some sort of pattern in how the traits moved from generation to generation ain't that right cromar that's right (laughs) Mendel, he died at age 61 from kidney failure. And when he died, all of his belongings were burned, which we had kind of discussed this earlier. And it sounds like, Hayden, there was a dispute between the monastery and the province. Yeah, Mendel had actually moved on. He wasn't doing really any studying anymore because he became the abbot. I don't know if that is pronounced right, but he was the head of the monastery. So he had a lot of administrative duties and yes, there was some sort of dispute between the monastery, which was headed by Mendel and the surrounding areas for some reason. All the pea plants started to overtake the agriculture in the <laughs> surrounding area. And they're like, we don't we want can't grow plant. anything except freaking peas anymore, man. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was interested to learn if the uh, religious community had disagreed with Mendel's work and, and that was the dispute, but it doesn't sound like that was it. No, it had to do with the, uh, an administrative level. The powers outside of the monastery didn't really like Mendel because they were in some sort of disagreement. And so they got a hold of all of his personal belongings at the end of his life and threw him out. They burned him. So they burned all of his papers and all of his life's work. Yeah. So it's probably some, some work there that he did not have published that could have been very useful. A lot of his work would largely go undiscovered for over three decades. Nobody really cared or made use of this um, until the early 1900s when three or four scientists were essentially researching the same thing and rediscovered his findings and verified his findings. And so those scientists, rather than individually trying to claim the credit, realized that, well, their findings, all that they did was verify what Mendel had discovered. And so that is why posthumously, Gregor Mendel became the father of modern day genetics. Ah. Uh... Amazing. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) 10 brain points. I'm going to keep that sound bite and I'm going to just plug it in randomly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And one of the interesting things that's still going on today is actually a dispute at a statistical level. So there's a bunch of statisticians that argue whether or not Mendel kind of fudged the numbers uh, to make it look like his theory was right and so it's kind of an interesting thing some people think that Mendel kind of cheated the numbers 
and that's called confirmation bias that he's working to prove what he believed to be true. Well, whether or not that be the case, it turns out that what he believed to be true was true. So it doesn't really matter, but that's something that's still going on currently. Skylar, tell me a little bit about what you knew about Mendel before coming into this meeting. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's bad. Punnett square. Yeah. (laughs) Punnett squares. Mostly high school education, with the Punnett Square, you go into your biology class and they're like, we're going to learn about peas and Mendel's theory. And then you get a Punnett Square and they're like, here's a dominant and recessive trait and now figure out the Punnett Square, which isn't too hard. Um, and that's why... That's why it's so surprising that nobody got his stuff for 35 that, years, right? Yeah, yeah that's, that, it's amazing because it's like, it just, it makes sense. Um, and that's why he is influential, um, for our modern day technology, um, and modern day sciences. Yeah. And here at Finest Hours, we try to focus on people that go kind of unnoticed. We all have learned a little bit. If you go through the public education system, you learn a little bit about genetic theory, Um, dominant and recessive traits in Gregor Mendel. But the highlight for me about him was the fact that during his life, he wasn't hardly noticed at all, yet he's in almost every biology book on the planet at this point. And so that's what I thought was so interesting was his finest hours went by completely unnoticed while he was at his peak. For sure. And if you even think about it, like if you ask someone, all right, who... Who do you know that has influenced the scientific community? A lot of people are probably going to point to Charles Darwin and all of his theories. When in fact, Gregor Mendel probably has the same amount of influence and he shouldn't go unnoticed. Yeah, the implications of Mendel's findings are numerous. Um, you know, it, it spans agriculture, it spans reproduction and, and the growth of humans and being able to detect things like susceptibility to diseases and being able to help cure those diseases at an early age. Yeah. So, I mean, it's still a constant battle to figure out how genes are working and that's research that's still going on. One of the things that I think is interesting are a lot of diseases are passed down through genetic traits and there are of course mutations that happen as well for cancers and things like that. But uh, one of the things that I'm thinking about is hemophilia So like a Uh blood clotting disorder, that's totally genetic. Sickle Um, cell. Yeah, sickle cell anemia, stuff like that. And so at that point, then you're looking at, well, there's got to be a way that we can modify it. Uh, We're to the point where we kind of understand where it's coming from now. And now we got to figure out how we can modify it and fix those things. And so that all goes back to the roots of what Gregor Mendel discovered. Yeah, I do will say I do appreciate how multicultural we have been on Finest Hours so far. So far, each of our stories have taken place in a different country. But we did have another German speaker here. Yeah, so you know what we can say at the end, Skylar? Arrivederci! <laughs> yeah, we can. Auf Wiedersehen. Ooh, what does that mean? It means goodbye. Ooh. Guten Tag. Ooh. Why don't you close us out with that? All right. Thanks for listening to Finest Hours podcast. And we hope that you uh, learned a lot about 
Mendel and can appreciate everything that he's done for the world. We need your help. We need you to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts so that we can continue to move up the ranks and uh, grow our podcast and be able to share more stories and influence more people. Do whatever you can so that we can share more stories and get into more homes. Of yes, we lovely people. Stay tuned for our next episode. We're going to do a little something different that will involve three people. Yep, we got a special three-parter coming up on our next episode. Please follow our Instagram at Finest Hours Podcast. If you don't have social media, feel free to give us an email at finesthourspod at gmail.com. And feel free to tell us who you would like us to talk about in the future because we really want to know who influences you and share that story to help influence other people and find their finest hours. That's right. Well, folks, that's going to do it for us today. We'll be back with you in a couple of weeks with a special three-parter. Off the way to say, Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs> <laughs>